In this episode, I'm researching what's really working on the front line with an actual practitioner. This is someone that I've worked with personally and have seen firsthand the incredible impact his focus on BDR enablement has had on a large team of over 40 global BDRs. Charlie Herzog is the global manager of BDR enablement at Tricentis. During our interview, Charlie talks about all things BDR enablement, how it's different from sales enablement, what he focuses on, and the types of activities he engages on a daily basis. We also get into how he made the transition from BDR to BDR manager and eventually to a global BDR enablement manager position. Anyone who wants to go down a similar path will want to stick around to the end because Charlie shares exactly what you should be doing right now as a BDR or a BDR manager if you're looking to pivot your career into enablement. So Charlie, for purposes of clarification, uh, can you first talk about what part of the organization that your team rolls into? Sure, we roll up through marketing. Uh, my boss is the global director of uh, business development and marketing operations. Um, and then I have a working relationship with our sales enablement group as well, who go under revenue operations. That's interesting, that's interesting. Um, now, let's also paint the picture for those that aren't familiar with Tricentis. Uh, just reading straight from Zoom Info, Tricentis specializes in automated testing to accelerate software delivery and digital transformation. Can you clarify that a little bit for those that don't know what that means? Sure. Um, so it's continuous uh, testing platform is basically what we're trying to build and what we have built over the past, I don't know, how many years have we've been uh, operating. Mm -hmm. It's basically thinking about the actual functional side of testing, performance, along with um, cloud testing and unit testing and user acceptance testing. So all those things that make it so that a person can log into a banking website and get all and get actually what they need to do done. Um, that's what we can help with and make sure that it's a good customer experience, along with on the back end, making sure that everything on the back end of a company can be working correctly as well. Um, you can think about those incredibly complex environments that are in, you know, a, uh, a manufacturing facility or something like that. You can make sure that, you know, from order to actually getting to the logistics facility and everything, it's hitting so many different backend IT systems. What we're able to do is test it to make sure that everything is hitting along the way correctly, along with doing the performance testing of that and making sure that it's hitting all the different cloud systems as well. Got it. Yeah, it's pretty complex than you'd say, right? Yeah, and uh, I know about the top 5% of it, and there are a lot smarter people <laughs> in my company that uh, actually build these and uh, and put them out into the field. You know, fair enough, but I'm, you know, the 5%, he's being uh, humble, folks. He, he knows a tremendous amount about this organization. Um, that's why he's in an enablement role, right? So uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And for the audience, again, just in terms of size, I think Zoom Info has... Uh, uh, Tricentis at about 100 million, and I think we're looking at about 1,400 employees today. So this is a large organization. Um, yes. You had mentioned that you're at over 100 account executives and around 40 BDRs today. Is that right? Yeah, that's about where we are. Okay, um, so. It's it's definitely been growing really fast. Had some acquisitions and stuff like that. Yes. So mm -hmm. um, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride. Right. And you didn't always have this function of BDR enablement. No, I uh, I started as a team lead of the, the East Coast BDRs um, when I started at the company. Um, and no and then it was enablement for BDRs. Not like, specifically, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we just had sales enablement, which they, they were great, helped us out as much as they can, but there was no specialized function just for BDR enablement. And 
um, it was kind of you know agreed upon that it was something that would have been needed if we were going to really scale the organization. Right. Um, kind of just worked out that I was also already very process minded, trying to get things working in the background. Um, so put my hat in the ring, and it's been uh, it's been really good sense. Very good. The team is lucky to have you. I know a lot of them are going to be tuning into this. So hello to the Tricentis BDRs and everyone at Tricentis. So uh, real quick, let's talk about what this function is as it stands, because not every organization has an enablement team or a person responsible for sales or even BDR enablement to, to my earlier question. Oh, yeah. So what what is it? Like, what does it consist of? What are the categories of focus in your role, if you will? Yeah, sure. Um, so the number one is uh, process and training. Um, so what I do is I get together disparate teams, whether or not it's our product marketing managers or uh, subject matter experts, and get them in front of the BDRs for BDR-specific messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're trying to do is make sure that we're not really over-complicating what uh, the BDR function is and what they have to know about the solution the product. They have to know how it uh, actually impacts the customer. They have to know how to ask the right questions so that we can get them to the right people. This is all about trying to make sure that our customers have the best experience possible and they get to the right people as quick as possible to get a solution to their problem. Um, and that's really all the BDRs need to know. And that's what this whole function is about, is making sure that we can get people through that pipeline to the people that will actually help them out as quick as possible. Right, right. We were, and we, so. we were we were talking offline about the differences too, because when you think about enablement, uh, a lot of times you might think sales enablement is a jump off, um, but having BDR focused enablement, it's different. It's not the same thing. Like we talked about how your standard sales enablement content doesn't fully apply to your BDRs. Uh, they're not doing discovery. They're not selling the product. You know, they have a completely different line of, of questioning a lot of times at those early stages. So I mean, what are some of the tactical things that you've seen now that you're, you've been working with the sales enablement team, you've seen the sales enablement contact, and even started creating BDR focused uh, enablement content. What's, how would you kind of categorize the differences? What's different about it? What, what's, what are we focusing on with BDR stuff that we're not focusing on with the sales enablement? Well, really, it's just the place that we stop. Um, and there is no real stopping until you get a PO on the, on the sales side. Right. Um, very much focused on pipeline uh, progression, on making sure that they have as many um, as many products in there that you're trying to get to, make sure that you have everything scoped correctly, all those different things that a BDR should not necessarily need to know about, including speeds and feeds of the actual solutions themselves. Um, again, a BDR needs to know how this helps somebody out and how we can make sure to ask the right questions that we're getting them to the right person. Um, but really you're, you're not selling a product when you're talking as a BDR. But the content specifically, you have like BDR battle cards, mm-hmm. right? That are not the same battle cards that you, your sales team is using. Um, and these comparative tools that we have for the messaging guides, th- these kinds of things that are very specific on top of funnel messaging and qualification, I would imagine, as opposed to... Yeah getting so much of a fit established, but you mentioned making sure that all the right products are kind of scoped in or spoke about uh, early on. That has to be pretty difficult for the team. And we mentioned the complexity of your business. You have a variety of products, right? And you have a large team. So 
I imagine like this can be pretty overwhelming for, for the team. Yeah, it definitely can be. And that's one part of my job is to try to distill it down into the areas they actually need to focus on. Hmm. Um, because if you get down into it too much into the weeds, it can be very confusing. Um, but we can get to a point where there are, you know, 10 or 11 questions we can focus on to really go down the right decision tree of what person to set this up with, what kind of segment they're in, what kind of problems they're having and pain points that they're actually, you know, dealing with. Because a lot of times uh, a prospect on the phone, certainly if it's a cold call, they're not expecting you to call and talk about what they need to do that day or what problems they're having that day. You kind of have to lead them into that mindset and those discovery questions and things that we um, give to the BDRs and those messaging guides are designed to get them into that space of, oh, yeah, well, I know this is just part of my job usually. And, you know, it's taking me lots of time, but that's just part of my job. It's not going to get any better and put it in their mind. Oh, it could be better. This is what Tricentis can help you with. This is what our product can help you with. Let me get you on a call with somebody who can really explain to you how that will happen. Yeah. yeah, you're you're activating latent pain at that point. They've just learned to live with the the, the limited amount of automation in their testing, ex, you know, life and they're part of the job. But when they could be automating so many more, so much more of it and getting so much more time back, they don't. They've learned yeah. to live with you know doing a lot of manual steps, and that's just the way it is. But I was explaining have- to my uh, to my mm-hmm. dad one time. Um, was it my dad it was sorry i was explaining it to somebody one time and they were talking about it in terms of latent pain and like as just an older person um they had a bad foot and they just got used to walking around on it so much that they didn't even notice that it was a problem anymore until they went into the doctor that after they got like a new insurance plan and we're like oh this this could be fixed this is something i don't have to deal with it does bother me every day i just learn to ignore it um, right. and those are the things that we really try to talk about and what are discovery questions and what a BDR really needs to be able to do. Um, certainly if they are working in a pure outbound motion where they didn't sign up for a webinar, they didn't sign up for a contact us. All they did is, you know, be a person that could use our solutions. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, uh, mentioned calling earlier and I know this is a hot topic for you. How much of your time is spent when you think about coaching and training on the calling aspect of the BDR's job? So it's a lot of it. Um, we definitely listen to calls. We do call coaching um, as much as we can. My you know, All the regulations and EMEA and stuff can't really do as much recording in there due to like two-party consent laws and stuff. But um, as much as we can, we listen in live. We listen to recordings to make sure that you know, it's, it's going on the way it needs to be. And everybody, every single cold call I've ever done in my life, I know I could have just done something slightly different, slightly better. So there's never any, you know, negative connotations to saying, Hey, I would try this next time. Or, you know, hindsight's 2020. I listened to my own calls and be like, Oh yeah, no, I messed that up. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) (laughs) Throw back like, Oh, God, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> yeah, there is a level of humility and uh, right. ability to take constructive criticism that you have to have as a BDR because everybody's going to give it and everybody's going to take it. Mm. Um, every email that I write out or I help one of the BDRs with, 
um, I know it could be better in some way. And that's, that's why we have, you know, the large group of people that we do to help look at stuff, to help coach, to help do anything because, you know, it's an ever evolving field. Um, when I got into BDR work at, when I'm at my first like true BDR job, even though it was called the ISR, I was at NTT. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a different environment than it is now. Um, moving from that into COVID times was is in its own huge right, like, uh, right. extreme um, uh, paradigm shift is the yeah. word I was looking for. And then even from the start of COVID till now is completely different. Um, and until you can really, in the next 12 months, 24 months is going to be a whole, whole ride in itself. It makes it very exciting. At least, um, what's working now working six months ago is going to be completely different. So it is that constant feedback loop of what's working right now. What's, what's happening right now that in my mind, you know, self-aggrandizement makes my BDR enablement role actually fairly, you know, relevant. Right. is because things are always changing. Um, what I started teaching, even when I started at Tricentis, is very different than I'm teaching now in terms of best practices. Yeah, and so you spend a lot of time during the onboarding phase with every new BDR, mm-hmm. right? And then there's an ongoing pattern and learning paths that you work with them on, I would imagine, as well. Can you, can yes. you kind of talk about those two areas? You know, you have onboarding, I imagine there's some best practices that we can learn from what you've done and evolve there. And then how do you make that shift to folks that are developing? Yeah. Um, so we have a two week onboarding course. I'm not going to take all responsibility for that. Um, our managers here were already doing a fairly good two week course before I even started, but I'm able to really sit down with them for hours in a day and make sure that certain core uh, competencies are hit before there's actually a go live date. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're coordinating so, these these sessions as, as well and kind of being that bird's eye view on the, the individual's process as they kind of go through onboarding. Exactly. And coordinating with uh, the, the managers along with getting the subject matter experts in where it's needed. And, you know, Make sure they're downloading they certain content and absorbing that litmus test of okay, is this going well? Are these certain things? Because that's one thing that you know every like educator in their life has learned is that nobody learns the same. Um, you have certain people that are you know very auditory learners that people only learn by actually doing it, um, or by you know by watching a video. Um, so you do have to adjust depending on what kind of learning environment they go. And usually the, by the time that people get to, you know, a little bit later in life after college, they know what kind of learner they are. So they can at least yeah. tell you, but yeah. sometimes you kind of have to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And and with your domain specifically, uh, again, this onboarding program, this level of handholding that you're providing, I would imagine A is just necessary for onboarding BDRs, particularly who are coming from a variety of backgrounds, like yourself. I mean, you when you went to NTT, you you hadn't been in tech sales before, right? You were in another yeah. field, and you were an industry changer, and you've moved away your way up, and and so forth. But that onboarding, that handholding, and having someone who's hyper focused on that uh, versus stretching a manager who has day to day responsibilities uh, to own that, plus do you know the, the rest of the stuff? So having that is also, I imagine, a key area for like attracting talent as well, because the number one question I hear in BDR interviews is, well, what's the training program like? And when we can tell 
our potential talent that we have a group of people, a person specifically like you, that's dedicated to their success early on. So they come out with good habits and good learnings is, is I imagine a key selling point. Can you talk about the connection between you and the managers? You'd mentioned it a little bit. Uh, how much, how do you partner with the managers to make sure that the ongoing development of the BDRs is kind of maintaining? So I have, well, basically it's all about communication right. and, um, and watching performance, um, trying to pinpoint if there's anybody that's lacking in certain areas. Um, just like was talking to some of, uh, managers today about, uh, BDRs that either are getting a lot of meetings from um, from just email, just getting a lot of meetings from only calls. And we want to see a healthy mix because no matter what, depending on the time of year, but depending on the like, you know, how sunny it is outside, people can be more apt to respond to emails or to calls. And there always has to be that um, that mix of both of them in my mind. Agreed. So we want to make sure that nobody's, you know, calling skills are ever atrophying because she, they're getting a lot of emails in or something like that. So it's constant communication, weekly touch points, making sure that we can try to spot a problem before it really gets to a point where there is an actual problem um, as much as possible. It's not always possible at all, but right, right, right. Um, be able to help people out before they necessarily in their own mind know that they need it. Well, I mean, you've been in this role for over a year now. Is that right? Just about a, uh, just about a year. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, one month now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we'll do the LinkedIn roundup and call yeah. it a year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, congratulations on on that. I imagine making that shift is, has been interesting. So let's talk about your background a little bit, because you weren't always in enablement. You were a manager before this. You were a rep before that. And I was alluding to some of the other changes and transitions you've made in your career. Can you talk to me about the inflection points that you've gone through during those transitions. I think it'd be important for anyone sure. who's considering that same trajectory because a lot of people who are in BD, you can sales development, business development, um, don't always want to be a closer right away. They may not want to go into management. Um, you know, there's other options is my point. Some people can go into operations and who knows, but this is a success story of someone who came in from BDR, BDR manager, went into enablement and is helping a, a, a very broad, a very large number of, uh, of people on a global basis uh, be the best possible BDRs they are. So talk about the inflection points moving from BDR to manager, manager to enablement. Can you talk about the, those transitions? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, like my first real BDR job was at NTT. Um, and that was a true just volume motion trying to get as many calls and emails going as fast as possible. Um, can you still hear me okay? I know my video froze no you're good i can hear you um and from like that point i pretty much wanted to be a closer i wanted to go out i wanted to be an ae um and that's what i was looking for in my next step um my next step i went on to be a bdr over at netscout systems and um and that was really the career track there was going from bdr to um kind of like a junior sales position as it was at the time. Um, and that's just what I kept doing. I was a BDR there for almost four years, wow. um, trying to build up my um, domain expertise, trying to actually get over into some sort of closing position. Um, there are a lot of internal shifts at the company going on. Um, ended up moving from 
uh, an office up in Redmond, Washington to remote. And then when I was remote, moved down to Florida. So um, this is the whole COVID period. Yeah. So it yeah. was actually right before COVID. So NetScout, when I f- first joined NetScout, actually, they had just acquired Fluke Networks. Um, and Fluke Networks, like I literally like all my onboarding was Fluke, everything. And then literally like my first day is when everybody else got their NetScout emails. So it was an interesting time to join, wow. but um, <laughs> they decided to sell off part of that business, which was like the handheld metering side, my end of the business, which was the enterprise um, solutions side of it stayed with NetScout. Hmm. So that building went to the spun off company and I went remote. Um, COVID hit actually just about a, you know six or seven months later. Um, and that was a big switch. Um, and then after that, I went to a security company and then came to here. But the, uh, um, really the big switch for me was even when I was here, um, I took a, the team lead job, which was the manager job in the East. Yeah. Um, and I still wanted to like eventually go up into, um, into sales, but I was like, I want to be in a leadership position first. Like it just made sense at the time. Right. And that's when I really, but why did it make the- sense at the time? That's the thing. How did it, how did that I imagine there's um, some innate like teaching and coaching. You know, a lot of times you're a change agent amongst peers and you're helping even without the leadership title, right? So I imagine a lot of that was kind of going on for you and which led to to that transition to getting... Because I mean, again, it's not always about those that perform the best that become managers. It's, or even if you are performing the best to become a manager, that transition of going from individual contributor to managing people is not uh, an easy change. No. Um, the reason why it kind of made sense for me is because I always liked it when people came to me with a question and I had the answer mm. or was able to try to help them find the answer. Um, not going to lie. It's probably a little bit of an ego thing too, trying to be like, oh yeah, no, Charlie's the guy to go to. Um, <laughs> I like being the go-to guy. Uh, yeah. That's the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there, there was definitely that part of it. Um, and also, I just I like being able to help out people, um, being able to see somebody go from a either low performer or not performing at all to um, actually like getting it under them and like seeing them actually succeed is incredibly gratifying to me, um, even outside of just the, you know, you know, Charlie's great thing for your help, um, which I'm not going to say I don't hate, but um, it is like. I want to make sure that everybody can really do the best they possibly can and help them out doing it. Um, and that's kind of the point that was the switch for me when, while I was already here was when um, we were able to really perform as an East team and like kind of gel as a group that we were all doing the same things. It was because of processes that we put down. It was because of you know messaging that we all made together and working as a complete team. And then transition. I know that was very disjointed, but <laughs> no, it's it's perfect. It's perfect because understanding that you went, what you were doing uh, as an individual was working. You transitioned to a team lead because people gravitated to you and saw you as someone they could learn from, which um, is a key modality for salespeople, particularly because of the way we work, our style of work, and how we go to these dynamic conversations and we deal with this you know, changing context. Um, we 
and I was learning this from Frank Cespedes, who's a Harvard lecturer. I've interviewed him. He's going to be one of our episodes if it's not already out, because um, you know it'll, it'll be out. Um, but he was breaking the, that down on how that's how salespeople particularly learn the best is from other people. So that's what played out in your situation. And it is obviously carried through into your management role and through into you know, now an enablement role is this ability to affect change and help people uh, get better. So there's a, there's a lot there. And what I want to get to is, you know, the, a little bit more about your background, because it's, it's telling, right? Like you, you had mentioned your mom was, uh, or is a, a high school teacher of science for 40 years, uh, working on robotics now. So I'm curious, like, how did her being a teacher for four years, you growing up in that environment, influence your career and your ability to help people learn well definitely help in just the you know thought of teaching as something to be lauded mm -hmm. um and something to you know strive for um uh, i've always thought that the only time that you can really know a subject is if you're good teaching it um and uh one of my first uh um like sales pe person that i listened to um i actually just forget it was probably a youtube video from like back in 2014 or something um but it was, that's what selling was was teaching in the first place and one reason i thought i could even get into Bar. it um because mm -hmm. you're teaching somebody on how you can help them or how a product can help them or whatever um and you know if I'm good at any kind of teaching, it's because of just the innate things that I've watched my mom do and that she's talked about. Um, so if I'm good at anything, it is because of her. And if I'm good at anything technical, it's because of my dad. So Boom. what was your dad? What did he do for a living? <laughs> so my dad's right now, he's a refrigeration engineer for, for Safeway, um, working on these giant VW, like uh, bug sized uh, compressors for like ammonia refrigeration systems. Um, so it's incredibly talented and, and smart guy. Um, and, you know, working on cars with him, being able to like go from the A to B when I was a kid is like one of the only reasons I know kind of the technical side of almost anything. So the mechanical um, engineering, is that kind of his background? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's one of the things that like kind of drew me to even doing anything in technology as well. Like I, I went to college for um, technical theater for right. lighting design, right? Um, uh, University of Idaho, and you know, great program. I loved what I did there, and I still am very passionate about theatrical lighting. But working in a theater environment, also, I think it's one of the best environments. And this is just me geeking out about it to learn teamwork and the real ability to both take direction but think creatively at the same time. Um, when you're working on a production team for a play, a musical, or whatever, while you have to work individual, individually as a creative person, you still have to work within the lens of what everybody else on your team is doing at the same time. You have to take your cues from the director on what the theme of the play is and what the tone should be. But then you also have to work with your scene designer. You have to work with your costume designer to make nothing, sure nothing clashes. Um, I think it's the best environment for... Uh, actually learning true teamwork. Um, and that's something that both like everybody has to do in almost any, um, you know, 
vocation ever, right. but specifically in sales, because we like, and BDR workers, we do have yeah. to be the yeah. ones that are communicating inter team, inter department, right. um, and making sure that we're doing those things that while we have to think creatively in the moment, have to still mesh with what the AEs want the messaging to be inside of an account or what marketing wants the messaging to be to be like outside Conveyed to that inside that inbound lead. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like that really like kind of formed what I thought of as like a functional team. And believe me, not all functional teams and like are actually functional in theater. There's a lot of big personalities <laughs> and drama that happens. Um, but when it works like it should, it it's beautiful to watch. Um, and like once I graduated, I thought I wanted to go into that. Right. Um, but then I was living in Seattle and I needed to eat food, um, and have <laughs> and a house. Money. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, my first job was, um, even, uh, basically at a distribution company for exhaust parts. Right. Um, so I was driving a van around delivering and selling exhaust parts. Um, and that was one of my first forays into selling to Berkeley people. Cause if you wanted to, you know, bother a exhaust parts mechanic in the middle of his day to sell him something, you'd think you can get some pretty coarse language thrown at you. Um, and certainly me as, you know, a fresh college graduate, just not knowing. Right-eyed really. and bushy-tailed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and luckily again, cause my dad, I knew like heads and tails of a car, but still, a 45 year veteran of working on cars his entire life is going to look at me like pulling up in my van going, go away. Um, so that was definitely interesting and in a trial. So many by parallels, man. So many parallels we could unpack there. Just <laughs> even the, the last part of like pulling up in the van, 45 year old, vet, uh, 45 year vet. And, you know, looking at you like go away. BDRs deal with that crap all day. Right. And their yeah. ability to kind of overcome that and what you just unpacked throughout this conversation so far is a lot of the ways that we can do that, particularly when you think about the theater background. So there's always this running, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say a joke, but piece of advice of to take an improv class if you want to be better at sales. Well, it's because uh, yes and is the like core of every improv actor out there. And that is a cold call. You have to not completely disregard what somebody is saying. You have to say, Okay, yes, and that's I hear what you're saying. Yes, and whatever. There's the whole arrested development, you know, uh uh Tobias Funke thing where all he does is stand up on a stage and say yes and over again. <laughs> um, which is probably one of my favorite episodes of that show ever. Um Don't start testing it, me on uh movie and, and, and show knowledge. <laughs> I already warned you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it's really something that I think could help almost every person yeah. because it yeah. is thinking on your feet and it is being affirmative. You can't just say, no, you're wrong. Like you right. have to you have to almost agree with what somebody's saying, but then switch it to the way that you want to present it. Um, and that's all improv is, is taking a prompt and then repositioning it to something that you think would be entertaining. Um, and the way that salespeople thinks things are entertaining is what makes them money. So mm. um, we're going to capture that one for sure in an audiogram. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. And as I like to say, that's uh, like the guests are dropping bars. Well, this has uh, been really interesting when you think about these angles uh, on it. Um you mentioned something earlier, though, too, and I was trying to unpack your background to understand your route to success. One of the areas that I think this intersects with is domain expertise, right? You have a complicated domain in automation testing, um, right? There's 
the, the coming in from a different industry, you know, non-technical background tech, you know, specifically, and getting into tech sales, um, right? There's these transitions that sort of happen along the way. And what selling exhaust parts, that domain itself, right? You had some game from your pops from being around uh, working on cars, right? So you had you had some chops there. But the idea of mastering domain expertise, this is a tough one. I see it a lot. And I try to emphasize it a lot to the teams that I work with is, you know, I can help you with the craft of sales and sales development. The thing that you're going to have to really hone in on, I think, is the domain expertise side of it. You're really understanding your market, understanding your product, understanding your personas. And I always position it as understanding your product, like product knowledge, right? That's kind of the other way of thinking of domain expertise. But you were talking to me about, and we were kind of riffing on this topic before, and I guess you took a different approach. Talk about your approach towards mastering domain expertise. It wasn't through the product lens. You you, you took a slightly different approach to this. Yeah. Um, my approach is a usually a popular culture approach, um, which goes back to sometimes movies, sometimes TV shows or whatever. When I first got into tech sales in general, I wanted to know what this world of a tech company was, what a like, world of a startup uh, tech company was, like shows like Silicon Valley, things like that, that I I looked at forums for, um, uh, you know, companies that I was trying to get into or like personas that I was trying to get in, uh, trying to talk with. And I saw what they were looking at, what they were watching, what their mind share was part of. Um, and it was things like that. It was, you know, uh, TV shows, movies about the tech industry, um, or even just, you know, other things that they were also kind of interested in that I kept seeing over and over again. Because um, it's not necessarily even trying to get into what the day to day of their job is. It's what kind of person is mm. that like what kind of persona usually inhabits this kind of a person. Um, it's going to be different whether or not it's individual contributor and like first couple of line managers from the business people, because then you just get into general corporate architecture and business acumen of like a corporation, which is a whole different kind of, I think that, that probably spans almost every single sector is, you know, um, uh, corporate politics, making sure that like your department is viewed as positively as possible. Right. Those kind of things you can always talk to director levels, VP levels about um, if what you think your solution can do can really put a positive spin on their function. Um, but, you know, that that's what I really try to do. Mm -hmm. um, that and, you know, most of the sales leaders when I started here, um, they recommended a couple of books for me to read about just like, this is what these people have to deal with. There's the Phoenix project and the unicorn project around like building out an actual um, piece of software that were amazing uh, pieces of material to read. Like I got one of them just on my desk all the time. Anyway, the unicorn project. Um, and one and of these, then, uh, your founder wrote, is that right? Yes. Or... Uh, Wolfgang, he wrote mm -hmm. a, um, continuous testing. Um, so it's basically the thought of always making sure that your systems are being tested in the background. Hmm. Um, and it's honestly for a, uh, like a very, very smart person writing a very, very smart book. It's like a, a page turner, in my opinion. Really? really? So it's not, it's, it, you would think it'd be pretty deep and hard to process, but, uh, it, it kept you on your, it kept you on the edge of your seat. No, I, I don't think it's actually that hard to process it's just mm. uh it spells it out pretty well 
So not to be shilling my my own company's product too much, but it's a really interesting read. Right. Well, I mean, the idea of taking the effort to read these books on your own time to get better about your domain says a lot about your character, your work ethic, your commitment to success. Not everybody, though, takes that step. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely hard because I'm a, I'm a big person from like a work life balance, like making sure that everybody can, you know, kind of unplug. Um, but on the other side of it, like there are certain things you have to do outside of the workday, outside of actually making your calls that to make yourself more successful. You can be a okay BDR just going through the motions, doing what you want to do. But if you actually want to excel at what you're trying to do, what you're trying to build a career out of, it can't just be a, you know, nine to five activity. There has to be a little bit of you know, extra homework in there. And hopefully it's something that you can actually enjoy. And that's why I always talk about doing things that are in popular culture that you can still really enjoy, but right, also educate you on your yeah. domain. Right. Um, like uh, certainly for newer BDRs or people that are coming in straight from college, I always recommend just watching business like movies that are really good about um, – you know, depicting a business environment or a sales environment. One of the first things I always tell a uh, a BDR to watch is Glengarry Glen Ross, um, which is you know a very extreme form of it's, selling. There's literally it's part selling of time corporate cares. culture. I mean, you, you you can't say ABC and not know what someone's talking about. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it's maybe not the best instructional material, but it does show you how a lot of salespeople are built. They're built to, you know, make sure that they can get to their numbers. They can find things that can actually improve their closing chances. Um, and kind of where a BDR can sit into that is making sure that Jack Lemon doesn't say that they're all shit leads. So, <laughs> well, there's the office. You're mentioning Gilbert too, is in, in its own way. Oh, Gilbert's I mean, just all about office yeah. culture. And <laughs> I didn't think that was a true thing since I, until I started actually working into an office. I thought I was like, oh yeah, that was back in the seventies. That, does, that, that doesn't really apply. No, and then I started working in an office environment like, oh no, that's, that's every single day. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, the office, office space, things like that, that can, that can like actually educate you about how a corporate environment works or even a tech startup works, but also be very, you know, entertaining at the same time. Well, I um, mean, funding, learning doesn't have to always be this arduous, difficult process. You know, it can still be fun. And I think that's where, and if we were talking to your mom, who's got 40 years experience you know, teaching high school students she'd probably tell you a lot of it has to do with making sure that it's entertaining and fun in order to convey that message make sure that it resonates uh with with, with the students oh, yeah. can't make right. sure the kids are fall asleep certainly for the last couple of years and you're teaching over zoom um it's been nice. different Right. So you don't have like movie day with your classes, do you? Like, or you don't have movie recommendations for for your no. Actually, that might be a good uh, idea. Though. <laughs> um, start setting up like movie recommendations so right. we can have. Um, I know, like, I know a lot of sales organizations that literally have book clubs. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, movie club. I mean, you have a look at you have a cinema, you know, theater background, and uh, we 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 were. I can't keep up with the references. I'm not going to even lie. Charlie is phenomenal in this area. Uh, just spend, you know, 20 minutes with him and he'll drop a ton of movie references on you and quote lines. I'm not good at that. Um, 
if I don't have my one note in front of me, <laughs> I do right now, forget <laughs> about it. Uh, but yeah, I think there's there the what we've tried to convey in this interview is that intersection of, you know, how people learn, you know, how you learned and all these things kind of can come together to create this environment where BDRs, salespeople can grow and be the best at what they do and you know, obviously be effective in contributing to revenue and pipeline growth for your organization. So, you know, if you're a revenue leader listening to this conversation, it's there's there's pieces of this conversation that I'm sure you can pull out and deploy within within your environment. So, you know, I would definitely tell you to hit the the replay button on this interview, go into these enablement strategies, understand what Charlie did to get to where he is. If you're looking to make that same jump as well, uh, Charlie, any parting advice uh, before you tell people where to go and find you any parting advice for someone who's maybe a BDR manager right now thinking about getting into enablement? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a ton of people who really enjoy leading people, helping people the way you do and the way you talked about earlier in the interview and want to do more of that. And right. So what would be yeah. some, some advice you'd give to that person? Um, first, I think a lot, the way that a lot of people think of SDRs, BDRs, ISRs, whatever you want to call them, um, people that are setting meetings and developing leads is they think about them as many salespeople. And then if you just teach them as salespeople, they can be the same amount of effective. Um, and to one course that is right for their development, if they want to get into sales, we definitely need to make sure to enable that part. Um, but we also need to think about what they're selling as BDRs. And it is really just selling the meeting and is selling, having that conversation with the next person in line. Um, and thinking about that part of it is what's really going to make a BDR effective, um, and what they can do in their, in their career. When it comes to what you can focus on to um, try to make this kind of change, um, it's focus on the process, focus on the people to enable your coworkers or anybody to be able to do their jobs more effectively um, and to take out anything that's being a roadblock for them. Um, you know, if that's in your sales engagement platform like SalesLoft, if that's in your backend systems, if that's developing messaging with people, or just being the person that organizes groups together to talk about their problems um, and make sure that, you know, you can like really tackle these things as a group. Um, as salespeople, our best resources are our fellow salespeople. Mm. So being able to get them all in a room and really workshop a problem. Um, or Agreed. on a Zoom call or whatever, um, is one of the strongest resources that we have. Charlie, where do you want people to go to 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 find you if they want to contact you? If can, uh, you know, want to learn more about Tricentis, can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Charlie, or go to tricentis.com, fill out a contact us form. It'd be one of my BDRs reaching out to uh, set up a meeting with you. <laughs> there you um, go, any, good plug. <laughs> anything to do with. Uh, um, automated testing for its performance, functional, in the cloud, mobile. Um, we've got a solution that can help. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.